word to our hearts. Open our mind to your word. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so I left off on uh, 1521, and I had left with a question of, you know, are we steadfast? Are we fickle? Why is it that we can be so easily disturbed in our hearts, in our spirits? Why is why are we so uh, so vulnerable? Why are we in that vulnerable position? And I asked, and I gave an answer and said, you know, it's just a lack of knowledge. It's a lack of desire to. I shouldn't let me let me take that one back. It's not a lack of desire. We have that desire, at least I pray that we do, but it's it's the lack of determination to get into God's word so that when we hear something that seems to wow that's just a little off that we don't get bothered and disturbed by that very thing because we have taken the time we've been intentional about searching out God's word and so we left, and Peter and Paul both have made a dissertation, and Peter, he, he put it forth, and he, he spelled, it was shown to him in a vision, in a trance, and he put it forth here, that God didn't see any difference. God gave no preferential treatment. God poured out His Spirit upon all humanity. Not just Jews, but Gentiles as well. And so, we're le we were left with that. But now, we're going to have a third person come in and speak. And this third person is James. This is James the... Uh, half-brother of Christ. Um, after Christ came forth and entered this world, well, Joseph and Mary had some more kids. And James, so, so intentionally and, and so, so completely said, Wow, this is he is the way, the truth, and the life. Even though he saw him grow up, and that's the one that's the one group of folks that, you know, is it's really hard to to convince because they saw you get up, they saw you grow up, and so it's difficult to sit and say, well, you know, that's really not the way he is. James saw him grow up, and so James now is. One of, one of quite a few that are steadfast and are bringing forth God's teaching of who is Christ? Why, what is it that he came to do? This is starting in verse 12. 
The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the miraculous signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. When they finished, James spoke up. This is where I should have started. James spoke up. Brothers, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God at first showed his concern by taking from the Gentiles a people for himself. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this, as it is written. After this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild. I will restore it that the remnant of men may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things that have been known for ages. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. That last statement, Moses has been read in every town, on, in, on, on every Sabbath, okay? The folks that should absolutely have been well aware of what God's work was going to do through his son are the ones who studied these things. They studied the prophets. They studied Moses. In the beginning, James says that the words of the prophets are in agreement. The community held that the prophets were speaking from God. The community absolutely knew that Moses was speaking from God. But to sit, I want to tell you what it is that they were being taught, what they were seeing. In Amos, verse 9, chapter, I mean, excuse me, chapter 9, verse 11. In that, it says, In that day I will restore David's fallen tent. I will repair its broken places, restore its ruins and build it as it used to be, so that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations that bear my name. It doesn't say they're just the nation of Israel. It says, all the nations that bear my name, declares the Lord who will do these things. So when James speaks forth and says that the prophets are in agreement, 
the Spirit of God is, is working through James to present this Word. And he's presenting it, he's quoting it to those in the synagogue, to those, the leadership, to those that should be, shouldn't have a, a misconception or misunderstanding of what's being taught. They should be able to look at, the, at what's being taught, compare it to what they know, because these leaders, these leaders spent hours days just simply searching out the prophets and the and the writings of Moses very deeply and diligently the writings of Moses why is it that they couldn't see that it wasn't the physical but the very heart of things, our very heart, that needed to be touched. Why were they so confused and so set, set aback when it is stated, and the Gentiles, all the nations, is what they read. It didn't say the nation of Israel. It said all the nations. And yet, they had to come to a discussion. They had to come to an agreement. And it's a good thing they did. Because it, in the earlier reading that we did uh, last, sun, last Sunday, it was a sect of those Pharisees that believed. In other words, they got some understanding of what was being taught and how it related absolutely and was fully substantiated by the prophets and by the writings of Moses. So they came to this, that place of being able to agree. Now, the other thing is, is that the Lord is the one that's going to bring this about. But if we continue in, in Acts, we can see some further revelation that's given and some further things that are looked back to to substantiate what's being said. It says, Then the apostles and elders with the whole church decided to choose some of their own men and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They chose Judas, called Barsabbas, and Silas, two men who were leaders among the brothers. With them, with them they sent the following letter. Apostles and elders, your brothers, to the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia, greetings. I want to hang on just that word greetings. There's a way that we are to acknowledge one another. 
if we come to the place and understanding of how we are to, uh, to, to come into each other's presence, it isn't with the standard, hey, how you doing? Yeah, I'm doing great. It's not that. It's how is your heart? My heart is filled with joy to see you. It should be such an overwhelming thing for both to come into each other's presence. So, when you say hi, <laughs> maybe it'd be more than hi. In any event, we have heard that some went out from us without our authorization and disturbed you, troubling your minds by what they said. So we all agreed to choose some men and send them to you with our dear friends Barnabas and Paul. Men who have risked their lives for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll come back to that in a minute. Therefore, we are sending Judas and Silas to confirm by word of mouth what we are writing. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. You remember I said that you have to have a determination to not be swayed by words that sound just about right and what, or even put to question, well, I, I, it sounds right. I, I, I think I should go along with this. It says here that it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. We've got to make that intentional motion to humble ourselves before the Spirit of God and let Him shower over us. But how do we do that? By going away for a moment. Go recreate. Recreate. So that what is meant for us to help us grow in our depth, in our maturity, our understanding, so that when something comes, it doesn't shake us. It doesn't cause us to question, am I really saved? This guy's saying I'm not saved unless I do this. All you've got to do is believe on the one whom God sent. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead on the third day. Not the fourth, not the second, not the seventh, but on the third day. And you'll be saved. That's all we got to do is believe on the one whom God sent. And the rest comes by exercising that belief, by working out that belief. So, 
uh, uh, to us to bur- not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. Wow, it start, sounds like we're going to have to start following rules again. Uh, well, I'll, I'll get to that. You are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. Christ said, During his temptation, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. That was taught. That is proclaimed. But we have to think about something that, you know what? You know, that, that this is a little, this is true. It, it applies to me. Let me ask you, I'm not picking on one group, I'm just saying because uh, I, I, I could be close to that, I can understand it. If somebody drinks and drinks to excess or drinks excessively and thinks nothing about anything else but drinking, then something has control of him, and it's not the Lord. But the Lord can break through that. The Lord can can have His will penetrate and open yours in a moment of, man, I just can't do this anymore. I'm going to die. And if that person, that individual, comes to that realization, he is born again. The Spirit of God has come in and revealed something to that individual that this is what has you, and I am what can save you. So you're a newborn. We have a newborn. A newborn's understanding of things isn't very broad. Well, I could be 33 like I was when I came to understand God the way that I do today, the way that I understand who the Lord Jesus is, who the Spirit of God and His and His work in our in our very beings is but my understanding wouldn't be all that broad i would have the understanding of an infant even at 33 years old but as i grow older i should grow in maturity and as i grow in maturity my understanding will grow deeper And my determination to follow after that will grow stronger. And so, remember I said, well, it's starting to sound like we need to follow some rules. 
it's not that we need to start following some rules. It's that we got to understand the reality of things. The reality of things is, is if that individual that has a drinking problem goes into bars after he has said, I can be saved. I don't have to live this out anymore. I can have joy. I can have peace. But goes into bars, he's going to fall pretty quick. The temptation becomes so great. Here what's being said is to abstain from food sacrificed to idols. If we, may, if we step one, one, in, one step away from the Lord and one toward whatever this idol is, then we get closer to falling again. We don't have the, we don't have the will yet to withstand that type of temptation. So it's not that we have to start following a bunch of rules. But let's understand what, what's being suggested to us. In Leviticus, now we're going away, like I said, we're going over the writings of uh, Moses. Leviticus chapter 17. I'm not going to go into all of it, but you know what? I would, I would strongly suggest that you understand what chapter 17 is saying. But one thing for sure, it says in verse 12, Therefore I say to the Israelites, none of you may eat blood nor may an alien living among you eat blood. It wasn't stated only to one. The alien are the Gentile, those that are not Jews. In this time, they may even have been Egyptians that came to believe. In verse 15, it says, Anyone, whether native-born or alien, who eats anything found dead or torn by wild animals must wash his clothes and bathe with water, and he will be ceremonially unclean till evening. Then he will be clean. There are just some things that are for our own benefit, for our own physical safety that God put forth because He is the Creator of all and knows what is good for you. We do things that aren't necessarily good for us. We chase after things that aren't necessarily good for us. In the time of Moses, it was given as law. In the time of Christ, Christ did say this, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. He was the only one that could. And if we put our faith in Him,
Though we may fall, we don't have to go through a process other than to turn back to Christ. In the desert, there were serpents that were biting and the people, and they were dying. God said, well, make up a staff and put the serpent on it. And if the people look to it, they will live. The serpents didn't stop biting. Temptation doesn't stop coming. But if they look to that serpent that was raised up, lifted up, they would live. If we will only look to the cross, look to the Lord Jesus Christ, when that temptation overcomes us, we can still live. We can still come into the presence of God because He doesn't see our failure. He sees us through His Son. And by His Son's grace given and poured out onto us, we can come before God. We don't have to go through another. We don't have to do what Israel did in in that on one day in a year they could come before God, but not directly. All they could do is bring the sacrifice at the door of the tent of meeting and then it could be offered up by the high priest. Well, our high priest is so much better. (laughs) He is so much better. Our high priest is the Lord Jesus Christ. And His blood is what washes us clean. So, in verse 18, I mean, excuse me, chapter 18, verses 1 through 3, it says in, in, in Acts that we should abstain from these things. And just prior to that, I said, well, it sounds like we need to follow rules again. Well, what it says in chapter 18 is this of Leviticus. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, I am the Lord your God. If we have put our faith in Christ, we too declare that you must you must not do as they did in Egypt in other words don't continue in the life that I have pulled you from don't continue in the life that was destroying you where you used to live and you must not do as as they do in the land of Canaan where I am bringing you. In other words, He's not taking you out of this world. He's having you be in the world, but not of it. Be in it, but not of it. Don't absolutely succumb to it. 
Let His Spirit work within you. Do not follow their practices. Do not follow their practices. In other words, don't give in to the things that, well, you know what, everybody else is doing it. Nothing seems to be happening to them. They don't seem to be suffering any consequences to the thing, for the things that they are doing. Why not? Well, we'll get to there. So, getting back to Acts. Uh oh, there we go. Getting back to Acts. So, it'll do you well to avoid these things. Now, one other thing that was said by Peter and also said in Leviticus. is what's written in uh, chapter 20, verse 26. You are to be holy to me because I, the Lord, am holy. I have set you apart from the nations to be my own. To be set apart. You'll remember I said, you know, don't go back to this. You've been pulled out of that life. You've been pulled out of that sin. You have been pulled into the grace and mercy of our God. And He's declaring to us, you were set apart, sanctified. Well, guess what? Sanctification for us is an ongoing thing. Until the day we stop sucking air, we have an opportunity to grow in the knowledge and in the strength and in the understanding of our Lord of the Lord our God. Hey, nature's beautiful. For y'all that are uh, out, they may see this later. You know, God's creation reminds us how glorious He is. And there's no way that God's creation could be an interruption. So that little flock of geese that flew away. Wow, they went away doing honking, whatever they do. But nonetheless, it's God's beautiful creation. Anyway, so having said what it says in Leviticus, I also want to say to you what's in 1 Peter. Because you know what? Like it said, Moses is read on the Sabbath always. And so the understanding should be there. But it's declared once more. In Peter, 1 Peter... In 1 Peter 
1 16 it says for it is written be holy because I am holy be holy because I am holy so having said that when it says you will do well to avoid these things. It's not just a rule. We have been called into a state of being. We have put our faith in Christ. And our Creator looks down and sees us as a holy nation both Jew and Gentile, that who have put their faith in Christ. And so he sees us as holy. So it actually won't be a work. It won't be a rule. It's a state of being. It's a state of being. So... I don't have a single problem with the thing he say, that he says and, and says, well, you know what? Don't, don't eat food sacrificed to idols. Because understand, this was a, a, new, a newly born faith. Otherwise, they couldn't be so shaken so quickly. Because it states here that your mind, uh, you, you're troubling your minds, disturbing you. Because it's still a young understanding. So as a young man grows, his maturity grows with him. And he will give up childish things. We are to come before God as children, as a child, but not childish. So, it's by our maturity, by allowing ourselves to sit and give a moment, give time for God's Spirit to work within us, by separating that time that He can and we, we can reflect what is written. Be holy because I am holy. Now, having said what is going to be proclaimed to the church throughout that entire area to these new believers that have been troubled and disturbed, made to question. All this has been read unto them. And so, farewell. Farewell. Not goodbye. Farewell. It says in, in verse 30, to continue on, 
The men were sent off and went down to Antioch where they gathered the church together and delivered the letter. The people read it and were glad for the, its encouraging message. Judas and Silas, who themselves were prophets, said much to encourage and strengthen the brothers. After send, spending some time there, they were sent off by the brothers with the blessing of peace to return to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, where they and many others taught and preached the word of the Lord. So, some were sent back home to be refreshed, and some were some stayed and continued in the work. But then we we come to a situation where something that isn't really talked about, and you'll see in a minute what I'm saying. Uh, because it's really not explained exactly what was wrong other than a few glimpses into the life of the individual. So they preached the word there. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. In other words, everywhere that we've already, we've settled this question. All right, don't be shaken by this. Don't be disturbed by this. Because they were on that missionary journey and they were going about to, cor to correct that, to encourage those that were shaken. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them, with them. But Paul did not think it to be to be not think it wise to take him, because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. Here's the story that I said we just don't have a whole lot of. But I think I understand a little bit. But this is my opinion of what, what I've read. My understanding of what I've read. And what apparently the Spirit of God is allowing me to say. Mark wasn't a bad man. By no means. He was a young man. He was a young man. We were first introduced to Mark, John Mark. Well, I'll just call him John Mark. We were first introduced to him in the Gospels at the arrest of Christ, the arrest of Jesus. And that's when all the apostles, so... You can't really say anything bad about Mark in, in that regard because they all dispersed. They all left and abandoned. 
Some came to follow at a distance, but they all abandoned him. Mark so much that when the guards uh, got him, they got a hold of him physically. Uh, he let his, clo his clothing go <laughs> and he ran off because he didn't want to receive any of what might be coming down. But he's a young man. Did he see the things that Christ did? I don't know how much time before that he spent, but I imagine he saw some. And yet, he, he left. Now, time, now we fast forward a little bit, and now he's considered one of those that, can, that are going to be sent out on the first missionary journey for Paul. The scripture says also that someone who just came to Christ shouldn't be put into a great place of authority, should be tested and tried. And I think that's kind of what was going on. Because in that first missionary journey, John Mark didn't come in as one of those that spoke or one of those that's even, you know, accredited with anything really spectacular. It says that he was their helper. I'm privileged and we are privileged that our pastor is willing to pick up a piece of paper from me. We honor him because God has put him in a position. He honors Christ by putting himself in a low position in a moment. John Mark was in a position of being a helper. Nothing more. Things got a, li things got a little wild. Well, how was how was Paul and Barnabas, how were Paul and Barnabas described? How how are they given accreditation before before those that they're going to give the give this encouraging word by saying who have risked their lives. So during that first missionary journey, they had risked their lives. And John Mark was the helper. But he's a young man. And it says that in Pamphylia, he stopped. So you know what? I got to go back to Jerusalem. And he did. He didn't continue with them. That stayed with Paul. Because that means that John Mark wasn't ready yet. He wasn't ready yet. Are there times that you're called to do things that you feel, 
Wow, this is a bit, this is, this is getting a little heavy. I don't know that I'm ready to do this. There is grace for you. We may abandon that work for a moment, for a while, but there is grace for you. Mark said in Pamphylia, I got to go back to Jerusalem. And that stayed with Paul. And when Barnabas said, hey, I think we should take John Mark with us. Paul and Barnabas got into it and they got into it pretty hot and heavy because it said that it says that they had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company, meaning Paul and Barnabas. Barnabas was the one who introduced Paul to the other apostles. He backed him up. But in this moment, they had a sharp disagreement. And so they had to part ways. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria, Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Paul continued in this work on his second missionary journey, doing so without John Mark because of something of that of that deserting during the first one. He's not strong enough to do to go through what we are going through right now. I don't want to be depending on him and have him not be there. But we have grace. We have mercy. We as individuals may be weak in a moment. Still saved. Still having the, that work of sanctification going on in us. But we're having to go through a growth spurt. And we're afraid of it. Because it's growing pains. Those hurt. That second missionary journey was going to be filled of the same of what the first missionary journey was. Having to put their lives on the line, risking their very lives for the name of Christ. And in that moment, Mark couldn't do it. And so Barnabas took Mark and they went one way. Paul took Silas and went another way. We don't hear much about Mark and Barnabas' work after that. We hear a great deal about Paul and Silas. So, now my question at the end of all this, the, end, the beginning of last week was steadfast or fickle? Well, all right. Now it's steadfast, and are we maturing? 
If we don't mature, then we stand still and we don't grow. We stay looking at the very same things that we've been looking at forever. And then we look around us and we see, wow, there's, there's incredible things happening in that individual's life. My friend who did this, he, I, man, I know he was afraid of this stuff. But he went ahead and exercised some courage and commitment and faith that he was actually being called to do that. But I'm afraid there is grace for you. But you need to grow up. You need to come to that place of maturity. You gotta let the work of the Spirit take over. There's good news about John Mark, though. In the future, I imagine it's the Spirit of God working in Paul. He says, You know what? Make sure that you bring John Mark. He can be useful and helpful to me. The Spirit of God informed him that, hey, I've been working on that young kid, John Mark. He won't leave you alone no more. He's got your back now. Have him bring my... And, and the, 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 the amount of faith and, and dependence he was going to show to John Marcus, have him bring my scrolls. My, have him bring those to me. So he's giving John Mark a charge because of what's been done in him. So let the Spirit of God have its way in you. The, and be intentional and diligent in searching out the Word so that when strange things come, they won't shake you up and you'll just keep going forward.